Welcome to Holistic History, The Quest for King Arthur. My name is Jim Frost. This is Episode 2. In Episode 1, I argued that our only contemporary source, The Ruin and Conquest of Britain by Gildas, is unreliable, and I also presented one way of making the case Arthur was real. In this episode, I'm going to talk more about why I think Gildas is unreliable and what he was really up to, and use another way of making the case Arthur was real. We will start with Gildas. First of all, the argument is that he is reliable because he is contemporary. But there are contemporary sources that have problems with them, sometimes very serious problems. The Gallic War by Julius Caesar has got propaganda in it. Anyone who studies Caesar knows that. If you can question Caesar, you can question Gildas. Furthermore, Gildas was not even an historian. He was a religious writer. This is a religious book with a history section. This is not the only thing he wrote that has come down to us. There is also the penitential and a handful of quotes taken from letters he wrote which were used by other authors. Everything else is purely religious, so if the ruin and conquest was preserved for religious purposes as well, he could have spewed any lying propaganda he wanted to in the history section, and the book would still have been preserved. I said I was right about Gildas, but for the wrong reason. This is because the first historian I read indicated that Gildas said Ambrosius Aurelianus rescued the nation when he staged his coup and killed the tyrant Vortiger. Virtually everyone depicts it that way, but Gildas never said that. Geoffrey of Monmouth said words to that effect, although not those exact words, 600 years later in the history of the kings of Britain. Gildas never mentioned a coup. In his version, Ambrosius rescued the nation from the Anglo-Saxons. I think that this is a very important distinction. First of all, I see it as more evidence that the coup was not justified, because if it had been, Gildas would have bragged that Ambrosius killed the tyrant instead of pretending that it did not happen. Furthermore, I think it was a very important part of his real agenda. Before I start taking a closer look at the book, I would like to make one point. There is a phenomenon in psychology called confirmation bias, which says that we do not naturally question our own ideas. We naturally look for ways to make those ideas work while turning a blind eye to anything suggesting there might be something wrong. I contend that the idea that Gildas is reliable is largely the product of confirmation bias, and a critical examination of the book could lead to a good case being made that he is unreliable. I'm going to refer to certain passages from the book, but I am not going to quote them because different translators use different wording. The history section begins with a tirade attacking the Britons, saying that they were stiff-necked, always breaking faith with both man and God, and were always ruled by tyrants. Then he turned to the Romans, and how through their great prestige they were able to bring peace, law, and order. He contrasted the two. Britons were bad, Romans were good. Gildas fiercely criticized the Britons, but the accepted interpretation is that he was a pious Briton appalled by the sinfulness of his compatriots. I think he was actually a Roman bigot. Gildas then wrote of the Roman conquest of Britain, saying that the Britons were unwarlike and submitted merely to, to threats. This is the introduction of a theme of his, which was that the Britons were cowards who could not fight. According to Gildas, the Romans did not leave a garrison in Britain. Everyone else says that this statement is an honest mistake. I don't see how it could have been. The Britons of Gildas' day were still using Roman forts, they were still wearing Roman armor, they had Hadrian's Wall, and no fewer than three different places they called City of the Legion, because these places had been the headquarters to different legions that had been stationed in Britain. In two cases, City of the Legion was a nickname, but in the third case, it was the real name. Carleon was one of the largest cities in Britain in those days. How did they have a City of the Legion with no legions? At first, I could not figure out why he said this until I realized that it was meant to be taken in conjunction with something else, but he split them up so I will explain its purpose in due time. Queen Boudicca led a famous rebellion against the Romans. Gildas called her treacherous. She would only have been treacherous to someone on the Roman side. That is not an unbiased statement. It is blatantly pro-Roman. His account of the rebellion is that the rebels massacred unarmed civilians, and when the legions arrived, the Britons just gave up, depicting the Britons as murderous cowards. 
I have to give credit where credit is due. I'm not the first person to question Gildas. In 1973, a professional historian named John Morris wrote a book called The Age of Arthur. Morris defended Vortigern, saying that he was not a tyrant, and he also called Gildas a liar. He made this accusation because Gildas said the Britons were proverbial for their cowardice, but they actually had a reputation for bravery. After the Romans secured their hold on Britain, they went out of their way to recruit Britons for the Roman army. This is a well-known fact. Once again, everyone else said Gildas made an honest mistake. But I don't see how this could have been an honest mistake. According to everyone else, Gildas was talking about the national reputation of his own people. And he got that not only wrong, but the exact opposite of what it really was. By accident? How is that possible? How many French people do you know who say, oh, you know us French, we're proverbial for being lousy lovers. Paris, city of gloom. Morris said that this was a lie, and I say that it's a lie. Now, according to Gildas, whenever Britain was attacked while it was in the empire, the attackers overcame the natives, who then sent delegates to Rome, begging for help. Moved by the stories of the suffering of the people, the Romans sent soldiers to Britain, who then drove off the attackers. Gildas recounted that this happened twice. In reality, it never happened at all. Romans rescuing Britons from foreign attackers. The same way Ambrosius supposedly rescued the nation from the Anglo-Saxons, he set it up as a pattern of behavior. That's why he kept hammering away at the idea that the Britons were cowards. That's why he said the Romans never stationed any soldiers in Britain. In order to make this argument, he had to get the legions out of the way. Now let us move on to Arthur. I stated in episode one that Gildas spoke of the Battle of Baden Hill, which led to a period of peace, and that other sources said that Baden was Arthur's greatest victory. So the question arises that if he wanted to avoid mentioning Arthur, as I believe, then why did he mention Baden? I think he had to address the fact that the real hero, Arthur, came right after the fake hero, Ambrosius. Gildas tried to make the case that Arthur was overrated. His reputation was based on this one battle and nothing else. He avoided using Arthur's name because of an aspect of their culture. Names have resonance. If I were to say Mahatma Gandhi, that would trigger certain associations. We are vaguely aware of that in our society. They were much more aware of it. People in their society sometimes change their names in order to deliberately trigger particular associations. Vortigern means over king. It is a name he took for himself after establishing his position at the top of the political hierarchy as a constant reminder that he was the man at the top of the political hierarchy. I believe Gildas avoided using Arthur's name because he did not want to trigger the associations that went with it. As for the period of peace, Gildas said that the memory of the bad times and the unexpected deliverance meant that kings, public and private individuals, and priests kept to their stations, maintaining peace, but they died and civil wars erupted again. This does not ring true. The Britons were governed by a warrior class that wanted to win glory through combat. Kings wanted to settle disputes with their rivals, build up their own wealth and power, even make themselves high king. For both ideological and political reasons, they did not want peace. As I argued in episode one, achieving and maintaining peace is an important part of Arthur's real reputation. But Gildas was not going to give Arthur credit, so he needed an alternate explanation. But there is no alternate explanation. I argue that a powerful king who could intimidate other kings was the only way to maintain peace under these conditions. First of all, a powerful king would have been the only person in power who would have wanted peace. Any other king trying to build up his power would have been a threat to a high king. But only an exceptionally powerful high king could actually have pulled it off. There are other examples. The, in fact, there's even another example among the Britons themselves. It took place 400 years later when they got their next period of peace. By that point, they had become divided into two regions, the Welsh kingdoms and Strathclyde in the north, which was eventually annexed by Scotland. Hywel the Good reigned from 910 to 950, and he dominated Wales and almost succeeded in unifying it into one state. But both before and after his reign, 
the Welsh were politically divided and fighting each other. So this is another example of peace being maintained by a powerful king. And it's the only other example of peace they had while they were politically divided. Unfortunately, I have run out of time. Please tune in for episode three when I will talk about my reconstruction of Arthur's military career. This is Holistic History, The Quest for King Arthur. I'm Jim Frost. Until next time, I hope you have a great day.